0: The focus of most of the final peric of Moed are the laws of Avelus, mourning, and as they relate to Yom Tov. And of course to Cholomoyd, which is the subject of the entire Masechta. So first the Mishnah is discussed situations in which one dies before Yom Tov, and whether the Shival or Shaloshim, the different stages in the mourning, continue on Yom Tov or after Yom Tov. And in the previous mission, we began discussing a case where somebody died on Yom Tov of such that he is buried on Cholamayyad. So which parts of the burial process and the mourning involved in that applies on Cholamayyad and which parts do not? So firstly, the main point of the previous Mishnah was to say that although in general even one who is not a direct relative of the person who died is allowed to show signs of mourning, on Cholam even those signs of mourning which are permitted, they are only permitted by the seven closest relatives of the dead person. Now the Mishnah continues, In es they do not place the coffin in the street, in order not to encourage eulogies, it is forbidden to eulogize and to speak about the dead person on Cholomoyed. And so although in general the practice was that on the way to the grave, as they were walking, they would place the coffin down on the ground and sit down seven times, that was the general custom, and each time that they sat down, somebody would speak about the dead person. This is not done on Cholomoyed, since it is forbidden to give a Hesperd, a eulogy about a dead person on Cholomoyed. Now, since we're discussing that, the Mishnah says, by the way, this custom of placing the coffin on the ground, that is never done if the person who died was a woman, in order to preserve the dignity, and the honor, and the modesty, of a woman. Now the custom during the times of the Mishnah is that during a burial procedure and perhaps also afterwards, in order to arouse the emotions, there would be women who would wail and cry and encourage people also to cry and be sad over the dead person. And there were different forms in which they would do this. So the Mishnah says, Women may wail together on Cholomoyed. That's when all of the women together would wail. But they cannot literally clap. They can't clap their hands together as an expression of mourning and being sad. That is already too much to be done on Cholomoye. Dribi Ishmael and Meribi Schmal says, it's true that they shouldn't be clapping in order to show their emotions in such a strong way. However, la those women who are right next to the coffin, the they are allowed to clap their hands together like that, since they are right next to the coffin, and this is during the burial itself, as the coffin is being taken to be buried, so at this point that expression of mourning is permitted on Purim, which although being days of joy, they are not considered to be quite as joyous as Cholamoyed, and therefore, according to everybody Ma the women can wail and also clap their hands together as an expression of mourning., both on Cholamoyed and on these days of Rosh Chanaka and Purim, the women cannot wail in the form of a kinoi. And as the Mishnah is going to describe in a moment, Kinui wasn't when all of the women would wail together, rather there would be a leader. One of the women would be leading them in the wailing, and that is considered to be a bigger expression of mourning, and sad emotions, and as such that is forbidden not only on Cholamoyed, but even on Ushchodesh Chanukah Purim. As well as that, Nikbar hamis. once the dead person had been buried already, then everything has to stop. Then they can't do any inui, they can't wail, they can't clap. All of this is only permitted on these days until the point of burial. Alright, asks the Mishnah, Ezo inui, what is considered to be this form of wailing known as inui? That is when Shekron Unus Ka'achas, that's when all of the women wail together. Kina, what is achas Shachmidaberes The one of them is speaking and wailing herself, the and all of the other women are wailing after her. The point is since they are following a particular person doing this, so that is a bigger expression of mourning. Shneema, as the Pasuk says made and you should teach your daughters wailing the kina, and a woman towards her neighbour will be a kina. So that implies that a kina involves a form of wailing where it involves sort of teaching others to wail, getting others to follow you. So that form of kina is forbidden on Cholomei, or Chodesh Chanukah, and Purim. Now because the general way of a Masechta is to end on a good note, the Mishnah adds, but regarding the future once Moshiach comes, the Posuk says, Hashem will destroy death forever. Umocha Hashem dimu the goymer, and Hashem will wipe away tears from everybody's face, etc. And we daven that that day should come as soon as possible, b'mheira v'yomeinu omein. Solik maseches <laughs> moed katal mazal Maseches <laughs> Chagiga, the final masechta in Seidah is also only three perakim, and its focus are the carbonis which one must offer on the sholish regalim, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos. There is an obligation for every man to appear in the Beis Hamikdash for the sholish regalim. Now, as well as the obligation to go to the Beis Hamikdash for the shalish regalim, the Torah also says, <laughs> The one should not appear in front of Hashem at the Beis Hamikdash empty-handed. Rather, there is an obligation of an eylas re'iya, a korban eilah which is totally burnt on the Mizbeach, when one appears at the Beit for the Shalish Rigalim, each individual is obligated to bring an Eul on the first day of the Yom Tov. As well as that, since there is an obligation to rejoice on Yom Tov, the Posuk says Rugalim li you shall celebrate the three Yom Tovim each year, and from there we learn that not only is there an obligation for everybody to offer an Eul there is also an obligation of Shalmei chagiga. This is a carbon shalomim, so it's also eaten by the one who brings it. Part of it goes to, a, to a Kayanim, and part of it is totally burnt on the mizbeach. And so these two carbones are the main two carbones of the yomtov that when one is, appears at the base HaMikdosh for the shalosh he's obligated to bring the olas and shalmechagiga. Now there's a third carbon which is not always an absolute obligation. The Torah says <laughs> And v'salmachtu there is a mitzvah to rejoice on Yom Tov. And the way that is to be done is by eating the meat of Korbanais. Now if the Shalmei Chagiga which one offered was enough for him to have meat for the whole Yom Tov and he didn't need any more meat, in that case he's not obligated to bring another Korban. However, if there is a need for more meat, then there is an obligation to bring a third type of Korban known as Shalmei Simcha which is also a Korban Shalomim, so most of it is eaten by the person bringing it. And so in summary, we have three karbonis, which are brought on the Yom Tov, and that is the focus of the Maserta. We have an Olasriiya, shalme chagiga, that's why the Maserta is called chagiga, and shalme simcha. So the first Mishnah begins by telling us who exactly is obligated to even come to the Beis HaMikdosh for the Sholish regalim, And by extension, anybody who is obligated to do so is also obligated to offer an oelasre'iyah and shalme chagiga. Everybody is obligated in the mitzvah of appearing at the Beit Hamikdash for the Sholish Regalim, chutz, except for the following people. Mechireish, a deaf person. In general, when the Mishnah refers to a chireish, it, refer, it refers to somebody who is both deaf and dumb. And somebody who is both deaf and dumb lacks sufficient understanding, and he is actually exempt from keeping mitzvahs. However, in this case, the Gemara explains that we're referring even to a person who is only deaf. He can't speak, he just can't hear. So he is obligated in mitzvahs. But even he who is obligated in mitzvahs is exempt from the mitzvah of appearing at the Beit Hamikdash. And this is learnt from Psukim, that somebody who is deaf is exempt from the mitzvah of re'iyah of appearing at the Beit Hamikdash. Okay, shaiter, a fool, the cotton, and somebody who is under the age of Bar Mitzvah, These two people are are exempt from mitzvahs. We'll see later on in our Mishnah that a child from a certain age is obligated, or at least there's an obligation on the parents to educate him, and that we will see at the end of this Mishnah. Now the Torah explicitly says that the obligation applies for all of your males, and so women are exempt from appearing at the Besam Yikdash, and not only that, somebody who is not a definite male for example, the tumtum, somebody who lacks male signs, male organs, and female organs. The androgynous, this refers to somebody who has both male and female features, both male and female organs. So it's a doubt as to whether they are considered to be male. And we learn from the posk over there that only somebody who is certainly male is obligated in this mitzvah of appearing and bringing the carbonus on the sholoshe regalim. The noshim, women are certainly exempt non jewish slaves who have not yet been freed they have the same status as women they have to keep all of the mitzvahs which women have to keep and so since women are exempt from the shalish regalim appearing at the base hamikdash so too non jewish slaves are exempt now the torah calls these on toivim shalish regalim which literally means three feet and we learn from there that somebody who is not able to travel to the base hamikdash by foot is also exempt. So a one who is lame, so he can't walk. The Hasuma. somebody who is blind. The reason why a blind person is exempt—that's learned from a different pasuk, which says the word leira ois to appear at the bais hamikdash. But instead of the Torah saying the usual word, which would be Leheirais ois to appear, it says it in a shortened form leira ois without a hey. Now the word leira ois can also be read as le-ra-ois, to see, and we learn from there that only one who is able to see the glory of Hashem and the Beis HaMikdash, only he is obligated to appear by the Beis HaMikdash on the Sholosh Regolim. is somebody who is ill, so he's not able to make the journey by foot to the Hazokein, somebody who is old, or anybody else who for whatever reason is not able to come up to the Beis HaMikdash. By foot, they are exempt since the Torah calls it Sholosh Rigolim Now, as you mentioned, there is actually an obligation on parents of a child to educate him from a certain age under Bar Mitzvah to appear the Besamikdosh. And so the Mishnah says, Which sort of child is the Mishnah talking about which says that he is exempt? That's only somebody who is too young to be educated. Any child who is too young to even ride on the shoulders of his father. And to go up from Yerushalayim to Harabayas To the mountain on which the Besamekdash stood. If he's too young even for his father to carry him there. And for him not to make it difficult for the child to understand what's going on. So from that point, the father is obligated to educate him and make sure that he comes with to the Beis HaMikdash. Now, of course, he wouldn't bring a korban because karbonoids such as these can only be brought if it's an obligation. But for the mitzvah of appearing at the Beis HaMikdash, the child would need to do so from that point onwards, that is the opinion of say that although it's true that in general, for most mitzvahs the child needs to be educated from when he understands about the mitzvah, when it comes to this mitzvah, if he can't yet walk, anybody who is not able to hold on to the hand of his father, and to go up by himself by foot from Yerushalayim to Harabayis, if he's not able to make the journey by foot, then he is exempt, chenema, as the says, which literally means three feet. And from there we learn that even an adult who is not able to walk there by foot is exempt. And so to a child who can't yet walk, certainly he is exempt, according to so There is no minimum value which one's carbonates need to be worth. However, they did say that you have to bring a minimum amount. And according to both Beshanai and Hillel, one has to spend at least three mo'ah which is equivalent to half a dinar, he has to spend at least that on the olas seru'iya and the shalme Khagiga put together. The question is, what should he spend more money on out of the two? In this case, rei'ah does not, do not refer to the appearing at the beis hamikdash, but it refers to the olas rei'ah, the carbon Oylah, which is brought when appearing at the beis hamikdash. So the olas rei'ah needs to be brought for at least shte kesef, two silver mo'ah. It has to be at least worth that amount. Whereas v'chagiga, the shami chagiga mo'ah kesef only need to be worth at least one more one silver mo'or. And the reason for B'shamah is that since the Ola is totally burnt on the Mizbeach, and it totally goes to Hashem, so it is appropriate that one spends more money on that than on the Koran Shalomim, which the man himself eats. However, B'shamim say the exact opposite, kesef. The Ola only needs to be at least one more one silver mo'or, whereas V'chagigah, the Shalomim Kesef, need to be worth at least two... Two silver ma'ar. Because according to Eish Hillel, the entire reason why the Rabbonon said a minimum amount, a minimum value, was so that there would be enough meat, and people would have more meat on the Yom Tov. And so since the shami Giga are split between the person bringing it, and the Kayanim, and the Mizbeach, so if that is worth more, so people will have more meat to eat over the Yom Tov.